was Mad Lions MSI performance worse than 2020 TSM, both going 06? I think people have some differing opinions there. Riot, gutting the North American Challengers League. Why are they doing that? More LCS roster moves. And Avali had an interesting take last week about the LCS possibly just shutting down the studio. Does she have a point? We will get into that and more on this episode 124 of the Clown Fiesta podcast, Blue Jay, JNT250. Jinter, let's start off with the team's performance. We got Golden Guardians no longer, Mad no longer. I think a lot of the focus is on Mad Lions, mostly because they went 06. Golden Guardians, they actually had a pretty good play-in, so I feel like people are a lot easier on them. Uh, and I guess they also weren't the number one seed as well. So let's start off with that. You think it was worse uh, than TSM's performance in 2020. Tell me why. Well, I mean, I think you have to when you contextualize it a little bit. You know, you do look at the six games that Mad Lions did lose. Yes, three of them were to T1, who is one of the best teams in the world, was the number two seed from Korea at MSI. But their other three losses were to the number two seeded from their own region, LEC. And you compare that to TSM's, you know, 0-6 group stage performance. That was against the, I don't remember the seeds actually, but it was the number one or number two LCK seed in Gen.G that year. I believe it was the lowest seed Chinese team. I think team. it was seed four from LGD, right? They yeah. were four, if I remember right. They were, yes. And then I don't, I mean, was Fnatic, I'm going to assume Fnatic was two because G2 was probably one. But when you look at it like that, you know, you have three out of your six losses are to a lower seeded team from your own region as opposed to TSM, who's also fighting teams that are all relatively on their same skill level, if not better. The only part of this that I struggle with is I don't remember much about the TSM games other than, of course, the nine-man sleep, right? That's that's what most people remember about it. I also think LGD wasn't that good that year. Maybe I'm misremembering, but that, that's one of the issues that I'm struggling with. Their like, play-in stage was pretty shaky, and I do think you, what you're saying is important. It is important to remember what did those TSM performances look like, because from what I can remember, a lot of them were pretty close for the most part. There were a couple of games, I remember, they got completely smacked. One was that first Fnatic game, where Fnatic was playing like Lucian mid when it was Giga OP, and Southland was playing Evelyn Jungle when it was Giga OP. That was one of the games they got stopped. I believe they got stomped in one of the Gen G games, but if my memory serves me right, like, all the other games were fairly close. Then you go look at it from the Mad Lion side of things. The only close games they had was game one against T1 and game two against G2. All of the other games were pretty much complete stomps. Sure. Let's be fair to Mad, though. Could we say that having a close game against T1 is an accomplishment? Or I, no? get, I, I would agree, but then we also have to give credit to TSM for having close games despite their 0-6s. And I would sure. argue that TSM's overall performance was you know, better than Mad Lion's overall performance. Yeah, I think I'm still in on the side of things to say that the TSM one was worse. But obviously, maybe it just stings more because I am an LCS fan. That's totally possible. And I also have to reiterate that, like, I don't remember the games that well. The other thing is, I, I don't know if this makes it better or worse for Mad, but the fact that, like, they could have won some of those games. Does that make it better or worse? Like, game two against G2, like, they're just throwing these games away. So you could cope by saying like, hey, they had a lead in this game. That's better than just getting steamrolled. Or is it maybe worse that it's like, yeah, you should have won that game and you still lost it. Yeah, I mean, I... Like there's two ways of looking at that. You know what I mean? Once again, I'd agree, but I think my previous point still stands. There was a couple of TSM games that were also in a pretty similar situation. Yeah. 
They looked uh, not so good, sadly, from the side of Mad Lions. And I guess I don't even know what player do you want to start with. I think one of the players that I had the highest opinion of coming into the tournament was El Yoya. And I thought there was just quite a few inti plays from him. Mind you, he was not alone, but he was just one of the players that I had, you know, high expectations of. And then he just didn't really perform. Mad Lions, it, to me, it feels like they have a little bit of that old CLG feeling where the, like, they're, what's the saying? Like, they're greater than the sum of their parts. And for whatever reason, yeah. you know, Mad Lions traditionally in the LEC, apart from, uh, what was it, 2021, where they won both splits, they've been pretty inconsistent for the most part. They'll have periods of time where they look really, really bad, but then they'll also have periods of time where they look really, really good. You know, take uh, this past split in the LEC, for example. Mad Lions looking like a pretty much middle of the pack team through the entirety of, you know, regular season and group stage. And then when the playoffs came around, they just ran through the entire lower bracket, smashed everybody for the most part. The only close series they had was that original uh, series against G2. G2 did get the better of them in the rematch 3-0. But, you know, for the most part, Mad Lions has been fairly inconsistent. And I think this was just one of the times where we saw the, the worse version of Mad Lions than, you know, maybe the better version of Mad Lions. But... I mean, we go back and look at the history, like they haven't had a really a good international tournament ever, except for that MSI 2021. And it's so crazy because the players aren't all the same, right? Like it would be way easier to point to, oh, can't do it at international tournaments. If it was the same players, you'd be like, oh, they just choke. But so many of the players have changed on this team. I know Karzi's come back and I get that. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like the players aren't all the same. And so like it's kind of hard to label it. It's more of like a narrative thing, right? It's more of like a ha-ha Mad Lions rather than it is a, those specific players choke on the international stage. Yeah, because, you I mean, you go back to their original roster in like 2020 Worlds where they failed to make it on the playing stage. A lot of those guys, I mean, aren't even, some of them aren't even in the LEC anymore, let alone on Mad Lions. You know, you guys go, yeah. like humanoid. What was the jungler's name? Uh, Shadow. He, yes, he I don't. To the LP, he's still in the LPL, I think, actually. Maybe, I. Uh, is he on an LPL team? I think so. Uh, don't quote me on that. I know he went to the LPL. I don't know if he's still on. But the point is that the players are different, right? Exactly, yeah. And their roster has changed a bunch of times. But for whatever reason, this team seems to always struggle at international tournaments. And whether that has anything to do with, you know, the various metas that there have been or, you know, players maybe not being as comfortable on the international stage or there's some nerves playing into account there. You know, you, you could all point to those things and be like, oh, yeah, those are probably valid reasons why they're struggling. But you look at this roster specifically, like this is a very tenured roster. The only person who has no, you know, experience in the grand scheme of things is Chasey in the top lane. And I'd also argue that he really didn't matter in a lot of all these other games. You know, if, if you look at pretty much every single Mad Lions game, top lane was irrelevant the entire time. And that's a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because, you know, top lane wasn't one of the reasons why they were losing the game, but it's a bad thing because if your top laner is having no impact on the entire game, something is, is, is going wrong. Like you can't, yeah. you can't just have zero impact and, and, you know, call that, you know, an okay game, unless you're like truly playing weak side and you're just being a weak side King, but that's not the case. We saw in that second game in the G2 series where G2 took the Casio and, or sorry, Mad Lions picked Irelia into the Casio top, but G2 made the active decision to split the map and just cuck him in the top lane. And I thought that was a really good thing that G2 did and probably was the reason why they won that game. Broken Blade being able to work his power in that 1v1 and ultimately carried the game for them. And if they hadn't made that decision, I would have assumed that Mad Lions probably would have won the game through top or at least tried to play the game around top lane. But G2 did a good job of just making sure that was never even a possibility. Yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to Broken Blade in that game. So look, the, the weird thing is, is like the throws were kind of just like 
positioning and team fight throws, like taking fights that you don't have to take from Mad Lion side of things. But at the same time, I feel like there's no way they stay in that game or stay close enough in the gold difference to be relevant if Broken Blade isn't hard stomping the top the top lane. Right. So it's like I don't want to be like it's because Broken Blade was so one v nine that they won that game because I do think a lot of it is just mad trolling, but also still give credit that like the gold lead wasn't so out of place that you still could come back from from the side of G two. But I mean, I just think for the most part, like Mad really struggled to find their own identity or at least mold their team to what the meta has sort of been. And the meta has pretty much been, we sacrifice mid at all costs and in order to die bot lane. And you pick a somewhat self-sufficient top laner who can survive getting pushed off waves and, and you know, can get dove and still survive. And we don't really see that with Mad Lions in the top lane. They do run, for the most part, a very feast or famine type style with chasing in the top lane. He primarily plays a lot of carries, especially in the LEC. And we kind of saw that for the most part in the T1 series. Like he was just sort of thrusted on the Kennen because obviously Kennen is a very strong pick. It's been like one of the most, one of the, I would assume one of the highest pick rate or what's the word? Not pick rate, but uh, presence. Presence. There it is. Probably the highest presence champion in the tournament. I would assume one of, considering it's always you know picked our band B1. But you know, JC wasn't really able to do a whole lot. But when you look at the rest of the players, you know, mistakes out the wazoo from the majority of them. I, I would say a lot of it towards the bot lane. Karzian, uh, Hillisang definitely didn't have a good tournament at all. I thought Karzi was pretty terrible for the most part, and it is. I mean, look, I, I, he's not just like completely horrible and has no chance, but. You got to put it into perspective a little bit here. He's going up against, you know, Gumayushi and Karia, the best perceived bot lane in the world, maybe apart from JDG's bot lane, and then the best bot lane in Europe in Ansama and Mickey X. So, I mean, I can cut them a little bit of slack there, but they did get rolled almost every game. Yeah, maybe we should start talking about some of the other teams because we got a lot of other teams to get into. Um, where, where do we want to go next? Um, I mean, we're kind of talking about G2. So, okay, let's stick with them a little bit. Uh, what were the standouts from G2? I guess Yike kind of popped off on that Kha'Zix game. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of people popping off on Kha'Zix, though. That champion kind of looks OP. I feel like we're going to see a lot of uh, Kha'Zix in solo queue. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, the people, I think, kind of pushed the G2 versus Gen G. Oh, hold on. Just let me just... I bet. I accidentally hit your camera. Um, what was I saying? Uh, G2, that series versus Gen G. Felt like it kind of just got lumped into the rest of the other three O's that happened because it was like, oh my god, the East is dominating the West and you know whatever, whatever. But G two actually had a very close series against Gen G. Yes, they did look a little out of sorts in the first game. Like that first game, I, I think was the G two took a game off Gen G, didn't they? No, it was a three one. That, that yeah, all I the other you said it was a sweep. My bad. All the other ones were sweeps, but for for what I could see, like. The G2 series just got grouped in with the rest. It's like, oh, East destroying the West. But I thought G2 actually did a pretty good job in that series, keeping it very, very close. I, I think a lot of people expected it just be a pretty clean 3-0 from the side of Gen G. And you take a snapshot of game four about halfway through it, and I think 10 out of 10 people would say that G2 is probably going to win this game and that we were going to go to a game five. That ultimately didn't happen. You know, I'm just trying to pull it up to remind myself. Uh yeah, I'm yeah, that was remembering the games myself. No, it was uh, that was the game where Hansama was like uber fed on the Draven early on, and then got caught in that one fight, and kind of all snowballed out of control from there. But I thought for sure we were going to a game five in that series, and 
even in our episode last week, I predicted G2 to win that series. And I think if we would have gone to game five, I think G2 would have won that series. Yeah, I, the thing is, here's my issue is it's been so long since I've watched the game. So like I'm having I'm blanking on what exactly happened that series. But for me, I remember thinking like Gen G's not playing very well right now. I remember thinking it was kind of a fiesta. No, like I didn't think that G2 played well. And now I'm I'm blanking on the reasoning that I had behind that because it's been so long since I watched the game. Not to mention I was watching them at like eight in the morning or whatever in Ottawa. Ugh, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, I did have it slightly backwards because it was game two that they got completely annihilated, not game one. But uh, mm. even in game one, like they still kept it pretty close despite having no top laner whatsoever in that game after Broken Blade got dove on that stacked wave at like level five, basically put him out of the game entirely. Feels like whenever you get dove or pushed off of stacked waves as a carry, whether you're playing top, mid, or AD carry, it is just so disastrous because of the amount of XP that you lose. We're XP is really starting to become like ma like mega mega important it feels like in the meta right now in terms of when teams want to take fights especially around the Rift Herald and Dragon you will very often see teams pushing their level advantages especially in the early game and in that game and specifically when Broken Blade got pushed off that wave it was like oh my god we're playing a 4v6 at this point hmm Anyways, I will say that I definitely thought G2 looked way better than Mad, but I just don't think that that's like a hot take whatsoever. I think everyone kind of agrees with that. I did not think G2 played all that well in the series against Gen G, but again, admittedly, I forget what most of the series was because there were so many damn games this past week. I, ugh, I'm completely blanking on the series. I would um, also, I, I think it's also important to add that I feel like G2, or, or sorry, Mad Lions kind of lost. Like them not being in the play-in stage feels like it took more. It took even more away from their performances. About like to put it in perspective, how bad it was. Because if G two, for example, just lost, you know, o three o three to both, you know, let's just say for example, they lost o three to Genji and they lost o three to Mad Lions. I think that people wouldn't have been necessarily surprised with that outcome because they had previously lost to Mad Lions in the LEC. The expectation was that all the Korean teams were going to beat the majority of teams at the tournament anyway, and that G2, despite potentially going 0-6, if they would have lost, they still wouldn't have looked as bad as Mad Lions because they had that play they had those playing stage games to sort of also compare to. So I do think that Mad Lion is kind of getting extra shit on because they didn't have any of those playing games, so we didn't get to see what this team looked like when things were going well. We basically only saw the bad. Absolutely, and I would just point to Golden Guardians as a as a good reason for why that makes sense because golden guardians they only took one game off of cloud nine after play-ins and like i feel like people are cutting them a lot of slack not like first of all okay they actually did play pretty decent um post play-ins but it's like because they played so well in play-ins i feel like that's why golden guardians is getting so much slack and like people are not all that upset not to mention they did already lose to cloud nine in the in the finals before so like kind of expected outcome but I thought Golden Guardians looked way different than the Golden Guardians that we saw all spring long. Like, super, super aggro, which you know I love. Not only, And, and the thing is, kind of similar to, to Mad Lions in a way that, like, they're playing super aggro, and yes, they're getting some leads, but they're just throwing them. So, like, honestly, not that different of a performance than Mad Lions from, from Golden Guardians' side of things. Yeah, I think the big difference for me when it came to Golden Guardians versus Mad Lions, as you kind of alluded to it already, was their performance in the early game. You know, Golden Guardians, especially in that series versus JDG, and in almost that entire series against Cloud9, Golden Guardians was doing a very good job operating in the early game, either staying even or in the cases against Cloud9, getting ahead in the early game, as opposed to Mad Lions, who 
were losing a lot of early games, despite, you know, game one and game two. Ga- game one against T1 and game two versus G2. Yeah, even against JDG, like, Golden Guardians was putting up a fight. Like, it, it's so... You know what's so sad about, like, the, the LCS versus LPL matchups is that, like... I felt so much better about how the LCS teams played and the results didn't change a goddamn thing from what we've seen in the past, right? Like, it was such reason to have hope, but also not have hope at the same time. Like, yeah, you still lost, and by a lot. And I was like, well, goddamn it. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there is a little bit of a problem there when you do look at the results only and not necessarily what has been going on during the game because, I Absolutely, mean, yeah. If you're looking at the score lines, yeah. Every Western team basically getting shit on 3-0 by an Eastern team, despite, you know, the GT versus Gen G series where they took a game off them. At first glance, it's going to look like, oh my god, the West is horrible, they have no chance. But you go in and look at a few of those individual games, Golden Guardians and Cloud9 were keeping it somewhat close for the most part against these top LPL teams. And that is something that we haven't seen as of late. You know, everyone... the, the the vibe from the whole community is just like, oh my god, the gap is as big as it's ever been. Like the gap is closing. Like that, that's no longer a thing anymore. Like, do, does everybody forget how horrible the West looked at Worlds 2022? Worlds 22 was, in my book, the worst international performance from the West versus the East. Yes, Rogue did make it out of their group, but I think that everyone would agree with me if the Mob Malmortis didn't get bugged and it popped yeah. on Jackie Love and Top Esports won that game versus Gam. Top would have tie, t- played a tiebreaker against Rogue, and then Top Esports would have beat Rogue and advanced. And I agree. we would have been most likely living in a world where no Western teams got out of the group stage for the first time ever. And, you know, despite Rogue's, you know, strong performances, you look at every other team, Cloud9, 1-5, Fnatic, 1-5, G2, 1-5, EG, 1-5, 100T, 1-5. Like, Worlds 2022 in my books, was way, way, way worse than what we're seeing at MSI 2023. Like, it's not even close for me. Like every single Western team was getting shit on by minute, like five to seven in those series. It was like solo kills in, in solo lanes, massive dives where people are getting completely owned and the game is over. We did not see any of that in this group stage, except for Mad Lions versus T1. Apart from that, You're... the majority of teams were keeping their games fairly close. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have the 16 minute, 47 second game stand out uh, as one of the reasons why the gap is so massive, because that's pretty rare that you see that big of a stomp. But I'm really happy you bring that up because I could not agree more about how I think that the West did put up a fight far more than they have in the past. And even some of the player interviews, Caria said in his interview with, with Travis Gafford that like he doesn't think the gap is that big. It was more of just a meta read dip. But as far as like the actual skill, he thinks that like they're not that far behind. And when you got Caria saying that, I think that holds a little bit of weight, right? So definitely yeah. notable that some of the players are saying we don't think the gap is that big it's just uh sometimes the results may look may make the gap look bigger than it actually is um although i think we can all still acknowledge that yes there is a gap it's just not quite as big as as we may have thought which is a good thing right that's good news we are quite happy with that and to get back to the golden guardians a little bit i think the player who everybody is talking about and deservedly so and we will continue to talk about him because we've been flaming him in the past is licorice this Dude, guy I'm is so happy though. It's awesome. This guy's playing well. He based on what we saw versus that in the series against Cloud9, Licorice was playing up to Fudge's level. And yeah, maybe Fudge hasn't been playing as well as he has been in NA uh, over the course of this tournament, but Licorice is playing pretty damn well. 
I have to admit, I told JNT this yesterday. I admit that I put a two dollar bet, just two bucks, on Golden Guardians, just because they were getting like three to one odds or something. Because I thought the series would be close. Uh, the whole reason behind is that I thought Licorice still looked so much better than what we had seen in spring, and that was my reasoning for being like, I could see this series going either way. You hit him um, with the solo bolo in game two, like. Dude, Licorice got a solo kill on Bin three six nine and Fudge this tournament. What the fuck is going on? Ugh, I fucking love it. If man. you would have said that two months ago when LCS was still going on and Licorice looked like one of the worst players in the league, we would have laughed you out the crack. room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so weird like it's and it's a good weird that like i can be so excited about a north american player who well they kind of all got clapped even though the teams got clapped there's still a player to be really really excited about like and honestly he's doing it on a bunch of different champions he's not one of those guys that's just put on one champion and you know you're there to fend for yourself on your solo pick like like they kind of did with Renekton earlier on in the year. It feels like the old Licorice, who was a carry player on Cloud9, like this guy off more often than not was playing carries, you know, for the most part in the LCS. Yeah, he did. He, he'd go through his tank phases when they were meta, you know, Orin, Poppy and whatnot. But seeing him on a bunch of different picks do he really, really well. He loves the Poppy. He loves the Poppy pick. And, and for good reason. Like when he's weak side, he always lands the Poppy ultimate for him to stay under tower and be able to farm while like his team's making a play on the other side. He's not a liability in the top side. And he's making plays with like with, with Poppy. Like a lot of Flash, uh, I almost said Flash pull. Flash, whatever her E is, <laughs> is called ability. Devastating Charge, and... I believe. Ooh, not bad, JNT. Yeah, um, play yeah, some jungle loves... Poppy, you know what I'm saying? He loves playing the poppy pick, and for good reason. I have to look it up now. I'm pretty sure it's devastating charge, but mm. I'll be thinking about it if I don't find it. It's called yeah. heroic charge. My bad. Devastating charge is Hecarim's E, now that I think about it. Okay. I'm pretty sure. or It's devastating something. I'll but. take your word for it. Someone can fact check us in the comments section if, they, if, if we're way, way off. Um... Other than that, River, to me, still ganking like crazy, uh, especially against JDG. Like, that was one of the reasons that they remained uh, in those games, if you ask me, because he ganked top successfully, ganked bot successfully. I will say, I actually didn't think Stixa had that great of a tournament. Um, kind of gave me some sneaky and lane vibes, actually. Oh, my Licorice. God. Or wasn't that with Licorice, with, um, with Stixa. Like, yeah. what, what was it just me, though? Because he kind of got, uh, don't get me wrong, ruler, right? Hey, let's be fair. But I can't ignore that, like, they're just falling way behind in lane. They're letting waves crash because he has to base because he's out of pots and he's just been hard chunked. Like, I don't expect that bot lane to stand up to JDG, for example. But I mean, but when we see them get clapped, we have to be like, well, they got clapped. And same thing with Berserker. And mind you, Berserker on Varus is kind of nasty. Varus and Heimer. Uh, they did that all spring long, but like again, they kind of got beat up in that lane as well. So like, I uh, hate to be the sneaky and lane meme guy, but it did. It was a little reminiscent, you know. I haven't heard that one in a while, but it's fitting. Or am I wrong? I mean, no, I I don't think you're wrong because I think the series against Cloud Nine was a lot more telling than the series. You know, both in the play-in stage versus BLG and in their series against JDG, it was no surprise that Six A and who he got completely annihilated. Um, however, against Cloud9, it definitely looked a lot worse than it did in the LCS finals, um, both in lane and out of lane. You know, Cloud9's bot lane was pretty dominant for the most part in that whole series. So, if if anything were to point to a reason why 
we think that Stixay's performance hasn't been as good or wasn't as good in comparison to playoffs, it'd be that series against Cloud9, not not the getting shit on by Eastern botlaners, for me at least. Yeah, I still feel way better about Golden Guardians now than I did in spring playoffs, though. Actually, one thing, I mean, maybe this is a bit premature, but I would say that going into MSI, I was a tad nervous to call Golden Guardians our second best team because, you know, you think about all the what ifs that kind of went on. But with their performance at MSI, I'm pretty like they feels like they cemented themselves at least in the top three going into summer. At the very really? least. I, I still think top two. Like, I think that they've played good enough for me, you don't for think me Flag? to be like, okay, good. I mean, again, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think I still put Flack was ahead of them. Maybe now with Vulcan, but yeah, if we're talking obviously with that. Fly, okay, if we're talking Springfly, no shot. But maybe now with Vulcan, like, okay, I could see that. Yeah, I was more talking about, like, Outlook to Summer, so that's why I said I didn't want Fair to get enough. too far ahead of myself, but... I'll have to put all in all, that all in all, in future episode. Good performance good, from Golden Guardians, I think. Yeah. I'll have to put more thought into that and we'll leave that one for a future episode because I don't know how to power rank that yet. But but uh, fair fair point to bring up, though. As is customary, I know it's not the LCS going on right now, but an LCS team has been eliminated. So we must give them a score of 1 to 10 on how their season went. And I'll kick it off with the straight up 10 out of 10. 10. I, I, how, how could it not be a 10 at this point? You know, a lot of people, ourselves included, had this team power ranked outside of the playoff picture, whether it be 7th, 8th, or ninth. You know, results may vary. But this team, over the course of the LCS playoffs and at this MSI so far, has proved that they are one of the best teams in North America, whether that's, you know, three or two, or even one if you somehow think that. But <laughs> I don't know. I let me say that the other thing that like if, if you need more reasons for why the you give them a 10 out of 10 ranking they turned what were awful players into really good ones well hold um, up Licorice. maybe awful players maybe one awful player no let me remind you that river was fucking running it down last year and i know that the situation wasn't fair to him because he got traded and whatever but he was running it down when he was on golden guardians right i'd, I'd and, like to make an addendum and hopefully say that he was playing awful not that he was an awful sure, player okay sure okay that's go. fair enough but the point stands you took two guys that were playing awful and yeah yeah they're playing great and mm -hmm. so anyways yeah Super excited about Golden Guardians, although I have been for the last, like, I don't know, three episodes. I get all giddy when we're talking about GGS. It's not that. And that doesn't exist. Yeah. Anyways, what else? We got to get through some of these other teams. We've kind of been rambling. Um, Sorry. I guess we can move on to Cloud9 now. We'll, we'll, stick with our, we'll stick with our North American boys. Um, they did lose 3-0 to BLG. Obviously did beat Golden Guardians earlier this morning. Um, and lower bracket against Golden Guardians 3-1, exact same scoreline as the finals. Uh, Cloud9, not looking as good as I thought they'd be personally. Okay, go on. I mean, I think the most obvious thing to point to is Fudge in the top lane. He, Agree. you know, pun most definitely intended. Uh, Fudge is a non-factor in a lot of these games. Ooh, he's going to do them like that. I mean... As much as I want to like talking about Cloud9 and think they're epic and all, I got to call out Fudge when he's playing bad. I mean, the bin that we all expected to see was out versus their series against Cloud9. And Licorice was doing some good things in lane for the most part against Fudge. You know, both in games one and two, top lane was going in favor of Licorice. And the, the, the thing that, so I agree. And the thing that's a little bit sad is that 
Fudge did not have a good Worlds last year either. And a lot of my coping for Fudge was like, well, he played mid all spring. And so he only had one split back top lane over summer for him to like get you know familiar with the role again so it's okay that he got gapped but then he had a really good spring and so i thought okay this would be a good time for him to cement himself by standing up to bin or obviously clapping licorice and neither really happened which makes it harder to you know i i can't ignore that either and so no, it I, feels bad, you know? I agree. One of the points I had in Cloudine's favor coming to that series against BLG was that, you know, BLG's topside wasn't looking as strong as we thought they'd be. And since Fudge, you know, looked like one of the best players in the LCS this past year and was a dominant carry player, I was quite hopeful that he'd be able to do some work in those lanes. But he's been pretty pedestrian. And I don't know if that's just a natural thing now due to the meta because i would say that we are sort of transitioning into more of a tank utility type style for the top lane where the game is becoming at least in the instance of this msi super super team fight centric um and one quote that i actually i caught when i was watching one of the vods of lsco stream but revan formerly on cloud nine now the new tsm head coach he made a statement that was kind of half troll but is all kind of true is the picks and the decisions that you make in the game you have to ask yourself the question, does this help bot lane? And if the answer is no, you don't pick it. And I kind of agree with that because bot lane is pretty much becoming kind of what mid jungle was for the last couple of years now, where if you have the winning mid jungle, you were going to win the game. And it feels like nowadays is if you have the winning bot lane, you are going to win the game. And top lane can sometimes just become top lane island mode and we'll just see tank for tank matchups. And that doesn't necessarily play into Fudge's favor, I think. Yeah, um, I do want to talk a little bit about the bot lane. Before we do, I want to talk about uh, Blabber. I didn't think that... I thought he had some like some kind of unlucky things that would happen. The one game... God, I don't even remember who it was against, but like as soon as he hit the Nocturne ult... That was against BLG, um, he played Nocturne. Okay, that was when like the Talia ult blocked off Berserker from getting to the team fight, And so like it was pretty unlucky that like Blabber goes in and Berserker has to hang back like a mile. So that was kind of an unlucky play for Blabber. That like, shit, as soon as I... And now he's like stuck like, if I don't use this ultimate, like it's a long cooldown. They're just going to win the next fight. So I got to go anyways. So it kind of made like one of their fights look a lot worse than it really was. Um, but then there was the Lee Sin game. The Lee Sin game was pretty nice. That one nice combo in the bot lane was pretty clean. And so I was pretty happy with uh, Blabber's performance, especially in game three on uh, on the Lee Sin. Yeah, Blabber, for the most part, in the back half of LCS this year, has been more of a facilitator than a carry. And it feels like at MSI, especially with a little bit of the meta ship, he is much more back into the carry-oriented Blabber that we're used to seeing. You know, in that series against BLG, did do a lot of good things with a Nocturne and the Lee Sin. And in that series today versus Golden Guardians, the Nidalee was on point. Like that was yeah. just a complete slaughter. And that yeah. was that game four? Or, Couldn't tell you. I think it was game four. It was the last game, but they just got completely annihilated. And then, like I said, want to talk about bot lane. I thought Berserker had a good, uh, so far, has had a good tournament. Uh, even the one game on the Zaya where he's like kiting the hell out of, I don't even remember who the hell it was. Uh, it was the Nar. It was Bin, right? Uh, yeah. Mm hmm. I, and I think like that was they game one. Get, I if Sven so. doesn't miss the Rakan W, I actually think they can wait work their way out of there. But Sven missed it on like a one HP target, and then they end up dying. Sadly, that was kind of feels bad. But um, yeah, I, I I think Berserker looking pretty damn good, which is nice to see because it 
it's obvious that like a player of his caliber is going to style in LCS. It's not as obvious if you're going to go do it on the international stage. And despite the fact that they were losing to BLG, he still looked really, really good. So big, big time credit to Berserker, our MVP. I mean, Berserker and Zven, maybe along with uh, Hansama and Mickey X, are really the only two bot lanes that have stood up to any of the Eastern bot lanes. You know, on average, all the Eastern bot lanes are destroying the Western bot lanes. And Berserker, both Berserker and Hansama have managed to keep it pretty, pretty close. It does feel like in a lot of these games, when we are looking at East versus West bot lanes, for the most part, to me, it feels like the support is where the main difference is happening. I, I do think that Berserker is on the level of all these other all these other eighty carries that we're seeing internationally. You know, I, I it's difficult to say he's as good as you know guys like Ruler, Gumiyushi, and whatnot. But I think he's on you know a similar level to guys like Pays and Elk and whatnot. You know, we're not necessarily we don't necessarily see that same dominance where Cloud9's bot lane is just taking control of the whole game like right from the jump. I do think some of that has to do with the support as well, but. And then Cloud9's bot lane is doing very admirably against a lot of these other tougher teams where other roles are struggling mightily. And perhaps we can shift over to some of these other very notable bot lanes. Uh, I think we have to talk about Ruler. That guy that is... Guy been, oh my god. Like, oh my god. Right, And the thing is, like, it's Ruler. Like, we should know this by now. But, but I mean, this 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 is gameplay. Like, when you talk best player in the world, this is the gameplay that, that you talk about. Like, I, I, and I don't, this is not me taking credit away from him. I also need to credit his team for his peel being absolutely amazing. And I think you've got this combo where you've got this cracked 80 carry and a team that knows how to peel him. And that's how you look super fucking good in team fights. I think that's one of the scariest things about this team is I did not expect any team to look this good team fighting. Well, I think one of the good things that, Kind of gets thrown under the radar a little bit when people talk about jdg is like the core of the team is still the same the players that they did swap from last year to this year were the carry players and they felt like they could do better and you know the what did you call it like the, the peel and the disengage that the team provides is so strong because you know these those three players have been on this team for at least since the beginning of 2022 i know for some of them a little bit longer than that you know, it just feels like Knight and Ruler have just plugged in very seamlessly into this roster. Yeah, I the, I guess the main guy that I want to call out for Peel was Kanavi. That guy was actually insane on the Maokai just a couple of times, blocking the one Ari charm on the one. And then I don't remember who it was. He locked down somebody else as well to Peel Ruler and Ruler just went apeshit after. Um, I don't even remember exactly who the hell it was. That's going to bother me. Anyways, regardless, Kanavi, uh, really nice supportive gameplay from the Maokai, and so he deserves a shout-out also. Yeah, I mean, all of JDG looks really, really good. You know? mm -hmm. uh, maybe T1 we should talk about as well, because they are also looking quite good, J and T250. Yeah, I think everybody thought that it was going to be a swift 3-0-ing of Gen G after, you know, in the dying moments of... Killing who was it? Killing Chovy in that in that game three where uh, owner ends up dying to the tower and Chovy buys a stopwatch instant base and saves the game and T1 kind of trolled it a little bit and Genji brings the series back but it was one of those three twos where it was kind of a pretty dominant three two from the side of yeah. T1 like yeah, it, it feels was. like we talk a lot about all the time when it comes to like they're going to be a close three zero and a dominant three zero like a lot of the three zeros that we saw at this tournament in my books were close three zeros you know. Mad Lions versus T1 was the only 3-0. I was like, okay, clearly this team was infinitely better than the other team, but 
D1, despite the the 3-2 scoreline, I still think look really good. Yeah, I thought going into that series that I still thought T1 was better than Gen G, despite the fact that I think Gen G is really good. And yes, they beat them in finals. And I felt like I felt uh, what's the word when like, um, felt oh, hopeful. You felt inspired. I felt you felt good about that. It, it made me feel. <laughs> someone's gonna tell me the word. Uh, vindicated. Vindicated. Okay. Um, that they were the better team after that series, despite it being three two. Oh think, yeah. Like, yeah. Eh, if they played again, it could go either way. No, I still feel like if they play again, I'm I'm predicting T one probably three one or three zero. Um, because I do think they are better. I'm in the same boat there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one guy that I will say actually a little bit of uh bean soup, if you will. There's a throwback. Um, Faker is dying a lot in the mid lane, just not respecting that he might be getting ganked or just not using his R E R. Um. Like, you gotta use that thing, man. So, Faker, not Faker-like a little bit. Um, that Was that the Gen G series? I think it was. Uh, yeah. It had to have been, because there's no way it was the other one. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I think it was game, it was game, it had to have been game four, because it, it must have been game four. Like, I don't he have the thing in front of me, but... And he kept not using his ultimate, and then kept, like, he would use it when it's too late, and then he'd be dead. He was just walking up to mid-turret and just dying. Um, oh yeah actually i i do remember a couple times that happened but like one of them he was hitting mid plates and then just like got collapsed on and yes we are seeing a lot of tried to alt away before and it's like that's too late to do that you needed to leave before that we are seeing a lot of instances throughout the tournament where like people are kind of greeting to hold their flash and not necessarily wanting to and i think that there is a little bit of nuance with those kinds of things because especially when you're getting ganked in the early game when it comes to flashing you either have to flash early or you don't flash at all because it always feels bad when you hit those flashes like in the middle ground or you take damage and then you have to end up flashing at the end and it's like okay well now i flashed and i'm low hp so i can't walk back into the lane or i'm gonna die i have to take a bad base or something like that so i i wonder if Baker's kind of going through that thought process of like oh well like maybe i just shouldn't flash anyway because i'll need it for a team fight because as I mentioned at the start of the episode, like I feel like the meta is all about team fighting. So that is true. I just think that a lot of those deaths were too early for it to be worth not flashing. Like um, losing that first herald or or dragon or whatever. Like that is an objective that you're giving away that you should flash away for to stay alive so that your team can contest it. Um, usually in the early game like that, I don't think it's worth holding flash. If it's late game then that's a different story. Like your flash, like let's say you die and like Baron's not alive and Dragon's not alive. You're like, I'm not going to flash. There's no objective on the map. That's different. That's not what was happening here. Faker could have lived and probably should have flashed. That is fair. But anyways, the the team still mostly looking pretty damn good, honestly. I I still think I have them as tournament favorites, although I am questioning that after seeing Ruler go apeshit. Maybe I I think JDG's a little bit better now. It is Uh, hard to, it is hard to ignore yeah what jdg was doing in that series versus blg like the amount of situations that they basically team fought their way out of especially that 4v5 where you know i think it was there was their jungler right who got picked you know and jdg is actively walking up contesting the baron 4v5 walking that fine line of like we're gonna get up in their faces and slightly back off and get up in their faces and slightly back off and as you mentioned the whole team just does an insane job of kiting around ruler and I just thought about is just gross. this. I just thought about this. Who was playing the Scion and abusing it to dive bot all the time? Was that T1? 
Like, what do you mean? Like, like where they're just diving bot lane with Scion because he's going to spawn with Zombie, and then they always get the two-for-one at the very least? They did do that in the first game, but there's yeah, been a lot of other one? teams doing yeah. that, so... Okay. Yeah, and it's been happening for a while. I know Europe did it for, like, there was, uh, Adam did it, and then LCS, well, I think 100 Thieves tried it. Uh, so I know it's been a thing. I guess what I'm getting at is, when are they going to nerf Scion, man? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been talking, like, they should make some changes to the passive, because yeah. it does... Nerf the passive early game. Like, what if you have to be level 6 for your passive to last, like, a certain amount of time? Or, like, it could, the your health bar, uh, the time that it takes for it to deplete, can scale with level you know like if you die to tower yeah you come back as a zombie but like one tower shot should just one shot you and you're dead or something like that instead of like taking two or, or maybe three i think it's just two but like yeah. that shit of all of the it's it's not the way the game should be played if you ask me of all the changes that i would make to scion in terms of because people have been talking a lot about it especially during the co-streams because this is like turned into a very common strat that people use now is we're going to pick Scion on red side and we are going to die bot lane because it's very easy to die bot lane on red side if we start the red buff and i, I don't like the idea of making it so he doesn't have access to his passive until six i'd much rather be in favor of just like make him take infinite damage to towers make scion passive early game die to tower in one or two shots but I guess the, the counter argument to that is if you only nerf it from tower shots, people can still do the Scion cheese where they just die to Raptors camp kind of thing, which is also kind of like, I don't know, maybe that's okay for the game because that's more punishable. Like if he invades your Raptors, you can just touch him and get the kill. So maybe that's not as bad, but definitely something needs to be done about Scion because it's like your top laner is not even going to lane anymore. Yeah, I don't know if that the viability of that strat has changed at all since the jungle changes. So... We haven't seen it since, so I don't know if previously you do it where you kind of like hit two camps at the same time and sort of leash them. I know you can do that when you did Raptors and Red at the same time at one point, but maybe the jungle changes that happened in Season 13 kind of prevent that from happening, and this is like the newest alteration of it. But either way, this is probably a strat that should not see the light of day post-MSI because it is a little bit toxic because even in that series... In the T1 Gen G series, Gen G was actively trying to not allow that to happen. In the first game, we saw Doran. He was like, I'm not going top lane. I'm going to go bot lane to try to save my yeah. team. And then we also saw in game three, um, Peanut was like, oh, well, since they're starting my Raptors in red, I'm going to take Krugs, hit level two, and then defend it. But they still just ran with it 4v4, 4v3. It doesn't really matter. Just the power of having that kind of extra life on Scion. And it just seems a bit too strong, especially how far the game you can snowball like how far you can snowball the game off of singular tower dives where enemy AD carry dies and or misses a huge wave. Yeah, Scion's in the game, so you've got like eight people bot lane. Like, that's not how the game should work. Anyways, I got us off on a tangent. My bad. Um, who else we got left to talk about? Have we talked about anyone or we, everyone? Oh, BLG, right? We kind of indirectly talked about them a little bit, but I guess just to reiterate, Ben looking a lot, lot better. Definitely ben not. showed up. Play-ins he didn't, but for this stage he did. And Elk, he still looks really good. On also looks good. Yeah. Yigao had a much better series um, versus Cloud9 than he did in the majority of the playing stage. Yigao kind of was just gapping MS. MS didn't really look greatest. Um, but I think a, smart, a part of that is expected. Yeah. Uh, do we want to get to the preview? Uh, and then we'll that'll be done for the MSI discussion. One thing that I just realized is I failed to put the bracket up on screen, New. which I was going to do, but. Alas, it's been 43 minutes. Here is the bracket. As you can see, 
Before we do, I got to remind people that I got to do the subscribe plug. Sorry, JNT, I, I definitely baited you. If you guys are enjoying the content, remember to hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, leave a comment about all the stupid stuff that we're doing. Uh, feel free to call us out. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys. Also, when's next stream, JNT? We think it's Sunday again next week, right? Uh, I think so. We think it's going to be Sunday, regular time, 7 uh, EST, 4 o'clock PST. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all the plug stuff. Okay, sorry, JNT. I cut you off. Go ahead. Well, either way, bracket on screen now. Uh, winner bracket finals. We have T1 versus JDG. And then onto the lower bracket, we'll have BLG versus G2 and G versus Cloud9. BLG versus G2 is the first match. That's on Tuesday, Gen GC9 Wednesday, upper bracket Thursday. Okay, let's just try to speed run this rather than, oh, we think all these matchups are going to happen. Let's just do what's on the screen right now. T1, JDG. Who's the favorite here, JNT? Because we kind of just talked about this and I didn't really have an answer because I don't know who to say. I think I'm still going to stick with T1. I think, I think I'm going to go JDG. I think I'm a ruler stand. Honestly, I don't see where either team has like an inherent advantage. I do think these teams match up pretty well. Um, if I did have to give one advantage, I might give it to the top side for JDG with 369 versus Zeus. Um, Zeus has been struggling. Um, hasn't really looked that, hasn't looked as insane as he's been pretty much his entire career over the last six months. So that might be the only advantage that I put, but I think I'm still rolling with T1. Yeah, I think I'm going to go JDG just because I think I'm sold on the team fighting. And look, that's not to say that T1 can't team fight. Let's acknowledge they absolutely can. But I don't know. I guess I'm just that uh, impressed by the whole ruler and peel for ruler. I think if there's any front to back, uh, team fight. I think JDG is going to come out on top. Maybe it's just whoever gets Aphelios, by the way, because uh, all these guys are looking pretty damn good on Aphelios. Um, yeah, I wonder if one... if this series we will see the handshake jinx Aphelios not happen and see some some other eighty carry picks. Honestly, though, I like Jinx Aphelios. I know that it's been met like it was being played last spring. I think it was like the only two eighty carries ever be played. Maybe with Zeri being banned all the time, it was those two. I like those eighty carries. They're fun too. to watch. I, you know what? I'll see more of it. You know, I, what I don't want to see is like Siver, Ash, like, nah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, I think there's a lot of skill expression with Jinx and Ophelios. Let's keep it going. The other thing is I do have to, just because I said Faker was dying a lot in the mid lane, I have to point out that that could be another area where like Faker's not looking that good. So maybe that's another area that JDG can exploit. Well, I'll go D1 on the 3-1. I'll go JDG on the 3-1. Okay, we'll move over to the lower bracket. We have uh, BLG versus G2 and Cloud9 versus GNG. For BLG versus G2, maybe I'm still coping, but I'm going with G2, 3-2 over BLG. You are so coping. <laughs> I firmly believe that a G2, if they would have won that game 4 against GNG, they would have gone to game 5 and they would have won that game. So, yeah, sure, maybe I'm coping still, but I think G2 is really, really good. I just don't think we've seen that moment where they have finally put it all together for some context jnt got called out in our discord this week guys about being biased towards you two or maybe not biased i don't remember what the word is but there's just some context there yeah the same guy who didn't think that broken blade was a top player in the lec or a hey, top top player in the lec so here or not here you brought blame. it up you brought it up you brought it up i wasn't gonna bring anything I was up just so. trying to give some context that's all 
Uh, shout out to Ragio, he's still a beast. Um, yes. And then we got Genji versus C9. Oh wait, yeah. I didn't do my prediction. I think BLG is going to 3-0. And then we got Genji versus C9. I also think Genji is going to 3-0 the Cloud9 gang. Yeah, the coping stops here, Genji 3-0. Last week I, I predicted with my heart instead of brain. And I mean, I, it's not like I'm surprised. I should know every time I predict with heart rather than brain. It's there's a reason why that's happening. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like maybe C9 could do something. I just don't see where it's going to happen though. Okay, so in your world now, play out the rest of the play out the rest of the bracket. If no, uh, that's too. Why? Wait, wait. Just do it quickly right okay, now. So then, you weirdo. Okay, Genji beats BLG, and then uh, that means it'd be Genji T1. That means G. Oh yeah, then T1 goes to finals against JDG, and then and then they rematch. I guess, I guess I'll stick with JDG because there's no reason for me to swap all of a sudden in the finals. Okay, I guess in my world, I'm at, I'd have G2 versus Genji, still coping. G2 would win. Then uh, Genji would be in the lower bracket against G2. JDG would win. Or I said Genji. Uh, JDG would be in the lower bracket against G2. JDG would win. Rematch T1 JDG T1 wins. So I think T1's okay. gonna win MSI. You apparently think JDG is going to win. It'll be fun. We'll see who wins. Dude, and we have all of these games this week, by the way, right? Like yeah. our next episode will be after finals. We have six, five, yeah, five more best of fives coming. What a crazy, like, like this tournament is speed. I can't do games. math. It's six. And I guess we, we didn't talk about the, um, the format that much. Um, now that like more of the group stage has been going on or even like the East versus West narrative, a lot of people had thoughts about that. Um, maybe you want to give your take on that because I know it's quite controversial. Yeah, we're talking about the, the format? Well, the format, but the East versus West sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, people did get pretty out of whack after the bracket stage draw when the playing stage concluded. And I do think that you know, it can be unfun when we see matchups that we've already seen before. But at the same time, I think, you know, especially in the G2 Mad Lions perspective of things, and even in the, the T1 versus Gen G perspective of things, like both of those teams, the opinion was that they were actually better than their other regional counterpart, despite them being the number two seeds and the opposing teams being the number one seeds. And I think this bracket at least was a prime example of that because we did get to see the rematches of G2 versus Mad and the rematch of T1 versus Gen G, and the opposing teams won out this time. And yes, that can be unfun. And yes, the result of that was you did see in the lower bracket E versus EU, NA versus NA, in the upper bracket, you know, LCK versus LCK, LBL versus LPL. But at the same time, we were going to get that in the lower bracket regardless. Like, I think people are kind of losing losing track that if the match, if those matches weren't going to happen in the upper bracket, they were also going to happen in the lower bracket. Like, even if G2 ended up winning that series versus Gen D, they lose to T1, they're going to drop down and probably play like a similar team. So I think what a lot of people are upset about is that we don't get to see NA versus EU. And I think that's the area that you, I think you've told me you don't care. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think you said that you don't really care about that, right? I don't care. Well, I guess the only, the thing that I'll, the last thing that I'll say about this topic, because I mean, I'm not that I say the last thing I should say. The last thing that I'll add to my argument for this is we like Riff Rivals. Nobody gave a fucking shit about that. Everybody has been talking about NA versus EU being a marquee matchup and rivalry for the last X number of years. We had a whole tournament and system in place to promote those things, and people didn't care about it. So why should I care about it at these tournaments? 
I would disagree because I did care about Rift Rivals personally. I will admit I didn't You're in the care minority, about, I guess. I didn't care well, I don't know. I don't think I'm the only one that cared about Rift Rivals. The other thing I'll add is it still does make it better to see NA versus EU at an actual international tournament rather than a for fun one. Reason being that people take the for fun one not that serious. And so there's no like real takeaway of haha we're better it's just like oh we came and had fun lol whereas like teams care about this tournament way more than rift rivals so i don't think we're comparing apples to apples there um the other thing too is that i think um that na playing versus eu or even lck playing against lpl is what fans want to see more of and yes i know they get to see plenty of lpl versus lck i just think that that is more exciting and the, the matchups are generally going to be closer and while it's not impossible for that to happen still it's just more unlikely right and i think that's a downside and something that you've told me again stop me if i'm putting words in your mouth um well, i've lost my train of thought um I say a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I got this. What the hell were you going to... I don't know. It'll, it'll come to me. Anyways, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> um, uh, I guess one other thing that I'll throw in there is... I mean, I do understand the want for more... Excuse me, best of fives. Or not even best of fives, just games between NA and EU. But at the same time when we introduced the new MSI format, like, yeah, I think part of it was to increase the number of teams at MSI, make the, the tournament more interesting, have a wider possible, you know, a wider array of, like, options or, or possible outcomes of who's going to win. But in all likelihood, we were going to see the number two seeds from every region get eliminated pretty early on to begin with. I don't think that anybody was expecting coming into this tournament, apart from maybe T1 or G2, because the narrative was that those teams were better than their counterparts. I don't think anybody was expecting second seeds from regions to just like show up out of nowhere. So I think it was going to be pretty apparent that we were going to see a lot of these lower tier teams drop out pretty quickly. And if they didn't end up playing some quote unquote exciting BO5 against a team that people wanted to see them play, it was kind of like no harm, no foul in my book because they, they shouldn't have been here to begin with. Fair enough. Also, I remember what I wanted to say. Um, something that you've told me is that like this tournament is mostly about making sure the best team wins, right? That's the, that's what you said to me before? Something along those lines? Yeah, that and Worlds. That's what the purpose of these tournaments are for. See, and I would argue that that is definitely one of the purposes. I just don't think that's the only purpose. Because I do think it is hype to see teams play against the rivals, if you want to put in air quotes, or even just create rivalries, right? Maybe you could say NA and EU doesn't have rivalries anymore. Well, maybe it's because we don't get to play as many games against them anymore. You know what I'm saying? So I would say that that still matters. If the only goal of these tournaments was to have the best team win the tournament, you would send like five LCK teams, five LPL teams, and maybe one of NA and one of EU Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think the fact that you send two of all of like two North America to Europe or at Worlds, you send three North America, three or four from Europe. I think that goes to show that it's not the only goal isn't just to have the best team win. It's also to have uh, matchups between regions that are just inter-region matchups. Honestly, that's what people want to see. I mean, yeah, but. That's right? not... You get what I'm saying, right? If it was just we want the best team to win, North America probably doesn't even go to Worlds if it was about that. Or or the uh, the emerging regions or whatever the hell they're called now. Uh, they wouldn't be going to the tournament either. So there's clearly more to the tournament than just looking for the best team in the world. You understand what I'm saying? I would agree, but at the same time, 
the intention and the design of Rift Rivals was to fulfill that, you know, want or need and still nobody cared about it. So, yeah, I guess that's just mostly because it did feel like a for fun tournament and that that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, and MSI is not right. I I would agree that, you know, Rift Rivals itself had some inherent problems where, as you mentioned, there weren't any stakes to it. But even when it was like, oh, now we actually get to see NA versus EU, it, it still didn't really matter. So. I would also argue that nobody would give a fuck if NA and EU were winning. Like, if NA and EU were winning against Eastern teams, like, nobody would care if they didn't play each other because they're oh, that winning. Like, that would be super hype because, like, that, those are massive upsets. It's like, just the likeliness there is pretty low, you know? I, I just think that the outcry for, you know, NA versus EU matches are only because these teams don't advance far in the tournament and one wants bragging rights over the other over who is well, the yeah. third best region. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying, I, that's just not something that I get invested in. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, let's talk about the LCSPA crap and getting rid of NACL. And God, it, does it feel like every episode we have to talk about some Doomer crap? There's a lot of that going around these days. Yeah, it's like every episode. Or every other episode, maybe. I don't even know at this point. It's too often. Like, do you remember when we first started this podcast? Mind you, it was um, pandemic crap. But, like, I feel like there wasn't every episode being like, oh, we have to talk about this shitty news this time. Yeah. <laughs> like, anyways, you want to give the lowdown of what the hell's going on? Just a reminder. I know people are aware, but let's just give a little reminder of what's what's been going down with uh, the NACL. Yeah, so just to give it a little bit of a timeline, so I believe it was, my camera's not focused, I believe it was last Saturday, which would be eight days ago from the time I'm recording this, there was a rumor that got put out on Twitter that the LCS was removing the requirement that the league teams field a Challenger League roster. At the time that was rumored, and shortly after, I believe the statement from... When did the statement come out? The statement came out on Friday? I think it came out the same day from the LCSPA are you talking about? Well, both both the LOL Esports article, like the official ride statement and the LCSPA response, oh, those, those came out simultaneously. Because the LCSPA responded to, I think it was LCS EV, right? That made the initial leak of like, hey, they might be getting rid of it. And then the LCSPA was like, no, that's not happening. But it turns out they were lied to, right? Well, I was just talking about like the official responses, but... Okay, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So the official responses came out, it was only a few days ago. I'm forgetting the day of the week. It was Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, one of those days. But, you know, basically Riot came out with an official announcement that they are making a lot of changes to the North American Challenger League scene beginning right now summer 2023 and i guess what blue jay was sort of referring to was that the lcspa was under the impression that no changes were going to be made until 2024 and i feel like that is the biggest issue at hand here both in terms of the public perception and the response that we've seen from the lcspa is that they were told one thing but another thing happened where changes were only going to be implemented towards the start of 2024 but Guess what? All these changes are happening now. So what are those changes? Well, I'll kind of give a brief summary of the official statement put up by Riot, but the NACL will be quote unquote operational for summer 2023 and beyond. What does that mean then? So yes, the LCS teams are no longer required to field a Challenger League roster. They still can, but they no longer have that requirement to do so. So 
presumably there will be teams operating in this league. They're planning to introduce relegation slash promotion for the bottom teams, allowing for potentially, you know, third party esports orgs or amateur teams to promote into the challenger league scene. Obviously there's still no promotion between challenger league and LCS. I think that's something that people were hoping might come back, but that's never going to come back with franchising. Additionally, they're also going to be moving the competitive servers for challenger league to Chicago uh, for more opportunity on the East Coast, because as it currently stands, they're playing all the servers in Los Angeles, and you likely have to be LA-based these days to compete in the Challenger League scene. So they're making changes to hopefully allow more players to be involved who are based anywhere in the United States, or I guess Canada for that matter. Um, and also there's going to be additional, rev additional revenue streams for these teams, which could include running their own individual team broadcasts and getting some sort of some form of revenue sharing via Twitch subs, whether that's on their own team streams or Riot affiliated streams. Yeah, because we know that when all the teams do their own channels for Academy, the viewers are just flowing in, baby. I I think that I'll be surprised if they make a lot of money with subs. Maybe the community is like, you know what? Even though this is a shit move by Riot, maybe they do gift a, a bunch of subs so that this shit can get funded. I don't know. I just don't see it as being very likely. I think that it's kind of a way to make it look like it's not so bad what they're doing, but what they're doing is they're killing our, our talent development. And as Phil Aram has said, and many others have said, more than half the players in the LCS came through that system. And so if you're getting rid of that system, there's not going to be a lot of players to promote to the LCS anymore. Most notably, the players like Jojo Pyun and Danny, and obviously there's more than those, but those are the main ones that you're like, dude, imagine if the LCS never had those players. Think of what we would have missed out on. Right or, or Dokla, for example, he worked his way back through it. Uh, contracts worked his way back through. It. Like the list goes on here, like of players that like. It's wild to think where that we wouldn't have them in our league right now. Most likely, if that league didn't exist, well, now there's a good chance that that league doesn't exist because another thing Phil uh, said in his interview with Travis Gafford is that when he was talking to the Riot people. It doesn't sound like they're too convinced that there's going to be many teams. It sounds like he, they think only three or four teams are going to feel the Challenger League, which if is the Challenger had, team. If I had to take my best guess, those would probably be Cloud9, 100 Thieves, and Team Liquid. I would say FlyQuest over 100 Thieves. Um, again, don't know for sure. Uh, the reason being that FlyQuest has kind of been spending. Um, Maybe. You know, like uh, they spent for... for pretty much everyone on their roster right now. They're also fresh into the LCS, like new ownership. They probably want to, whereas like hundreds. I'd of also argue that new ownership could be one of the probably reasons that they could be getting rid of their rosters because people aren't going to be wanting spending money. So I understand. That would be really weird to have new owners come in, buy an LCS team, and then still not want to invest in talent. That would be really weird. If you want to look up new owners coming into teams and fucking them up, uh, go look at the Phoenix Suns in the NBA right now. That new owner is completely fucked over that team. So it would not surprise me at all if the ownership group of FlyQuest, while they are a prominent LCS org now and obviously seem to be spending more, wouldn't surprise me at all to see if they just get rid of their, their academy system. I, I think just based on based on history of teams who have promoted players, I would say the Cloud900 Thieves and Team Liquid are the most likely ones. Maybe you could throw NRG in there, but considering the situation of the CLG transition to NRG, I would kind of eliminate that possibility. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe, right? Maybe. Oh. I don't know. I just, I think it's weird if they're willing to spend to get like Vulcan and, and honestly, pretty much their whole roster, they probably had to spend decent money for. And then they don't want to spend for but I mean, development. You that look at the other side better. of that coin is if we're going to spend big on our LCS roster, that means we can't pay for a. Possibly. Possibly. Anyways, we're speculating on what the teams are. We don't know who they are. But the point is, like, is that really enough of a league to even have? Like, you know, like what is that league going to look like, right? That, like, that to me is the biggest question is what this league is going to look like because if we work under the assumption that we'll use for argument's sake four LCS teams are going to field challenger league rosters you know then it's about okay well how many third party teams are going to be involved then okay well let's say for example zero third party teams want to join the challengers league or, or no amateur teams or what i mean i would assume that they would probably let teams in just to purely fill up the league but in a world where no other teams want to field the roster except for those four lcs teams we just named by example what the hell are you doing with a four team league and yeah. if only two more teams are going to join okay well what do you do with a 16 league or and now an 18 league so I feel like there's going to be a lot and a lot of growing pains if these changes actually go through. I think is first off very important to note that while Riot did announce these changes, the LCSPA has been very active in condemning these changes from Riot and also saying that we as in the public and the players association are doing as much as we can to speak out against this in hopes that Riot reverts these decisions or makes additional you know, amendments or changes to it. So it does sound like we haven't necessarily reached a point of no return, but all signs are pointing to these changes. They're coming and they're coming soon. Yeah. So today I sat down for like an hour, maybe two, trying to come up with reasons that this move makes sense. And I got to admit, JNT, that I came up with three reasons, but I don't really feel all that good about them. So feel free to poke any other holes in this logic that I don't poke in them myself. Uh, reason number one, I think that this might be a reason to open up the import rule. Now, I know in the LCS article or Riot article, it said they don't want to change the import rule. But if you say, it, first of all, Riot has changed their minds before. Like, and not apparently they're willing to just lie to the LCSPA, so they're willing to lie. So... I don't think just because they said that, that that's necessarily true. And what might happen if you have no league to get talent from, they'll be like, Riot, there's no one for us to get talent from. And then they'll be like, well, I guess we got to open up the import slots. Go have at it. Um, the problem with that logic, though, is that imports cost more than North American talent. So that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, unless you think that you can import players and get a roster for less than 500k because apparently that's what it costs approximately to run a challenger league team no that's um, what the player salaries cost sure sure anyways no that's not the player salaries that's the whole team altogether like the coaches and housing and stuff because oh the player sorry. salaries are not all making 100k they're all making like 75 or maybe even less i'll admit i was like kind of past listening did you say the 17 percent or the 500k i said the 500k oh sorry you are correct i'm incorrect yeah my apologies. So if you can import, no problem. If you could import players and you think that you can import for paying less than the 500K, sure. I just don't see how you're going to be able to import and pay less than that. Uh, so that's a problem. I uh, did. Uh, one, uh, one thing I was just checking and I was just reading the original All Esports article just to speak on this because you did mention that they said the import rules are not changing. But one thing yeah. that we got from the video or the video interview that Travis did with uh, Phil Aram or Aram the yep, head of the LCSPA is they said that a lot of these uh, potential changes that they, that riot or the PA wants to make 
these are conversations that come up, you know, at, you know, these are conversations that are revisited throughout the years. So while yes, Riot said at this exact moment, the LCS import rules are not changing. That doesn't mean that they're not going to change another one, two, three years. So I do right. think it is very important to note that while they did say in this article that they're not changing, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be changing in the future. They're just not changing right now because I wanted to right. get the exact wording. It says there are no changes in the works around the current import policies for the LCS. So that does not, that does not eliminate the possibility that there could be future changes. Not to mention, like I said, they just lied to the LCSPA by telling them that they weren't making changes this year. And then they go ahead and make changes this year. Yeah. So there's that. Now, one of the other reasons that teams might have voted to kill this league is that they've just lost faith in the league and this is a way to kill it. Um, you know, if there's no more players that are able to play in the league because there's no talent pool for them, maybe this is one of their ways to cut costs. The league just dies and they don't have to lose money every year. The only problem with that logic is that wouldn't they just sell their spot? Like, I understand that LCS um, spots are worth way less than they used to be, but if money was the only issue, wouldn't you still sell it rather than continue to lose money every year? So that makes no sense. And then the only other one that I could come up with that makes a little bit of sense, although still not really, is that teams might just say, you know what? We're paying minimum salary to our players no matter what, so we don't care about winning. I don't care if we have talent or not. We're paying them 75K and we're not paying them anymore. So what's the point of developing players if they're, you know, like if we're not trying to win, it's just all about saving costs. I don't care how bad our team is. We're paying them absolute minimum. That could, I don't like, or maybe you're thinking because Jack is saying that like he's willing to give away players as long as it means they play in the LCS. Maybe teams are thinking, hey, why don't we just let Jack develop these guys and then he'll give them to us for free. And then we don't have to pay for talent. You know, we don't have to pay for talent acquisition or development. And then we still pay them league minimum. I, I don't know, man. I, the only problem with that, I guess, is still that if there's no challengers league, there's like what talent, you know, like maybe you're asking C9 to develop this talent or TL, but there might not be any talent anymore to have when there's no incentive to go pro anymore. But yeah. Hey, that that's just me. And that's, uh, that's the only way that I could come up with trying to explain the reasoning for getting rid of this league. There's nothing good. That makes sense in my mind. J and T, please. Uh, if you have a way of making this make sense, please do, because I'm, I'm ready to cope. I mean, I, Unfortunately, I do think that the most likely scenario is, you know, somewhat of the third option that you mentioned, where teams are just kind of in extreme cost cutting mode. And whether or not that is because they're making poor decisions and that they've been forced into decision, they've been forced into making this decision because of the poor choices that some of these orgs have made in the previous years while operating the LCS, whether that's spending a shit ton for a roster that, you know, overpaying for players and you know, a roster or you know, I don't even know. They're not, they don't feel like they're getting their return on their investment. But I think the most likely scenario is that teams are probably just feeling the pressure of trying to cut costs as much as possible. And you know, we've talked about it a couple of times on this episode, and it feels like it's a sentiment in the whole esports world is like the esports winter is coming. So teams just feels like nowadays are doing whatever they can to save as much money as possible to spend it on what they perceive as probably like the the real product or or the real money maker which is starting lineups ones who are playing every single week and are being seen by thousands and or millions of people on a on a weekly basis yeah and it, it still just makes no sense because of some of the reasons that phil aram said in an interview like 
the one of the cheapest ways to get players is to use rookie talent because they don't cost as much as longtime veteran players. And so, yeah, you're saving your 500k per year, sure, but like the only way you're saving money on this is if you're just going to offer a league minimum to all of your players regardless, which is like that can't be good. That's not a good sign for the league continuing to exist because who's going to want to go pro anymore? Yeah, I mean, and we've even talked about this in the past, sort of like the teams, a lot of the teams who have been successful in the LCS, you know, within the last, you know, three to four years have been ones who have used the talent development pipelines that have been put in place, or at the very least, those teams have, you know, brought up players who are ones who are in the LCS these days, you know, the main three teams I think to look at are Cloud9, 100 Thieves, and Team Liquid, like, a lot of those players who have been in those three teams, their academy systems, they're spread out all across the LCS. You know, you look at the 2020 when Cloud9 basically sold their whole Challenger League team to FlyQuest when it was like, what, Diamond and Palafox and Kumo and there was one other guy in there. Licorice. Licorice was sold too, no? Yeah, I guess I was just more talking about the people who are in academy and whatnot, but, you know, Mm. there's that. You look at 100 Thieves, they've promoted throughout their own team, Tenacity and Busio. We'll get into Tenacity in a little bit later, but, you know, they've sold Poom and Luger over to CLG. Uh, Ryoma was brought up through their own team. Or no, he was imported first, wasn't he? Yeah, he was imported first. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other 100. Kenvi, that guy was on 100 Thieves. Um, Who else? I think Insanity played for 100 Thieves before he joined LCS. Maybe it was he. No, I think he played for them after. But the point still stands that, like, you need the league. You need it to produce talent. And if there's no talent to produce, how can you have a league? Like, people are not going to want to play Pro League of Legends anymore. Like, do people, do they not understand what the grind is like to be an LCS pro? No one's going to want to grind that hard for 75k, man. Maybe in a rookie year, maybe. But if there's no promise of actually making money for the amount of work that you have to put in, no, man. You're just not going to have a league anymore. And if you think the LCS is performing bad now in international tournaments, just wait till all of our talent development systems are gone and that there's no players that want to play anymore. Like that is on the way with these changes. Yeah. Um, there was a couple other things I just wanted to add that was both in the official Riot announcement and in the statement that was released by the Players Association. One of the things that Riot also mentioned in their statement was that they were expanding the competitive opportunities in North America to include cross-region competition between uh, Latin America and Brazil. Um, at face value, obviously, that's a very good thing. But one thing that Phil Aram brought into the mix in the interview with Travis Gafford is that that's something that the LCSPA has been lobbying for for a couple of years now. So in his view, it felt like the LCS just kind of threw that in there as like a cherry on top to try to be like, oh, well, we're also doing this. But in reality, this has been a this has been a discussion that's been happening apparently behind closed doors for a couple of years now. So it. it I would urge everybody listening who does have, you know, a big interest in the future of the LCS and, you know, with the Challenger League scene, I know, you know, ourselves, we don't necessarily follow the league too heavily, but we're aware of it and we, we do like to know kind of what's going on. Please go and check out that interview between Travis Gafford and the head of the LCSPA, uh, Philip Aram. Yep. He made a point of, he made a point of how to specifically say his last name. So I want to make sure I get it right every time, but it's about an hour long, but it's a really good listen. It, it does describe a lot of the back and forth that the Players Association and Riot goes through on a kind of a on, on a monthly basis. 
we've kind of in the past flamed the Players Association a little bit because they don't really have a very active public presence. But I think that Phil did a really good job of describing why that is the case and how things have been operating. And for the most part, Riot and the Players Association have been on a they've had a pretty good relationship and have been able to sort of fix their issues behind closed doors and not have to bring the public into this. But he did a he made the point that this is a situation that they are really not aligned with and they've right has kind of forced their hand to bring this public and hope that the public can spark you know the reversal of some of these changes i just want to say i never flamed the lcspa when phil was there like i he's been there for a while and i know that he's been there for a while and i think he's been a great voice because i i only know who he is because of hotline league so i've had i've seen him go on the show and like he's made a lot of really intelligent and just good points that made me have full confidence in the LCSPA. When we used to flame it was when there was no one running it and it was just five players that were supposed to be running show and we were like, these guys aren't doing jack shit. It was like Bjergsen and Doublelift who are like, I don't know, man, it's a joke. One uh, thing I have to throw in here... We used to flame it. One thing I gotta throw in here is, dude, in the LCSPA statement they released, why did they not print all of the names who signed at the bottom on that second page? Like, who the hell are all those signatures? Like, dude, <laughs> like this is why you print names. Like you have print, you print name line, like an underline. And then that's where you sign your name. Like I had no the fuck clue who was signing this damn thing. Like J and T is such a zoomer. I'm not going to pretend like I can read them. Cause I haven't, I don't, maybe I can, maybe I can't, but I'm just going to say that you're a zoomer and be like, Oh, J and T can't no, go, go look at it right now. It, it's like scribble, bro. It's like classic, you know, like shitty it's handwriting. Discord, right. Can I find it? Yeah, it'd be there. Um, while I'm looking for these signatures to see, oh, there they are. But the point is like, you don't even know who is this. So like, obviously you can guess because you know what players are on the, like what LCS players are on the players association. But like, dude, when you sign your name, like when you do this kind of a format where you sign your name at the bottom, you also have to print your name. So we know who wrote the damn signature. I can read some of them. Core JJ, Darshan, Phil. I don't know who all of them are. Yeah, but I mean, that's my point. Like there's like 12 (laughs) signatures there and I can understand. I can maybe read four of them. This is good news. That means I'm a Zoomer too. Okay, good. Um, Okay, kind of uh, a topic that, was there anything else on this? Because I want to talk about the tenacity stuff that's kind of related. Um, No, I think we we covered most things. I, I guess the last thing to say is the players, both LCS and Challenger League have all pretty much put up a united front, basically flaming Riot on Twitter. And good for them. They should be doing that. So it does really give the the appearance the appearance that you know there's a lot of pushback on these changes that Riot has made. Yeah, and I think even in the Travis interview, it sounded like there's a chance that there's like a strike or something. He yeah, Phil Aram said that that was an option. So that yeah. was on the table, I believe he said. So that would be weird, which honestly would be really bad for the league. Like. I don't think this league can afford to have a strike right now. This is not a good time to give people a reason to ignore the LCS and be like, oh, well, whatever, it's over. All like, the more reason is... for the players to do it right now. Yeah, maybe. Uh, then there's the argument that those the players are going to be like, I got a job, I don't care. Oh, you mean no one's ever going to take my spot now because there's no talent development? Okay, fine, set for life. I don't know if that's in fact, how things would go down. Uh, let's talk about the tenacity stuff because we mentioned how like, who's going to want to play pro anymore if you can't make money and you have to hard grind. I think tenacity is kind of looking at it that way, honestly. And yeah, a little bit. I don't really blame them. I mean, once again, Travis Gafford 
had an interview with Tenacity. Uh, this was like yesterday, I think. So it's on his YouTube channel. I think it was uploaded on Saturday, but Tenacity did announce that he was moving from competitive play to content creation. But I do want to point out that he did mention, and even Travis and him talked a little bit about it, was that he did get LCS offers. He did get Challenger League offers and he did get ERL offers. So it wasn't like the whole situation with Someday 100 Thieves screwed him out of a job. It, it screwed him out of his starting job on 100 Thieves. Yes, it did. But there were other options for him. But he made the active choice to leave 100 Thieves and, you know, transition into, I guess I shouldn't say leave 100 Thieves, but leave playing professionally for 100 Thieves and transition into being a content creator. This was the quote that got me. He said, for myself, I don't see an extended future in the league. Yeah, that's uh, it's a bit fucked. That is, I mean, it's telling. It's not wrong per se. Um, I yeah, that's wild, because this was a guy that like we talked about for so long. Of oh, when he gets into the LCS, it's gonna be great. He's one of our best prospects. He plays one split, gets replaced by an old LCS veteran, and then he's like, mm, I could go to these other teams, but I'm gonna not, and I'm just gonna go live with L LS in Korea and make content. And I mean, I don't blame him at all. Like content I, creation, like past history will tell us that content creation for the most part is more lucrative than playing in the LCS unless you're a top player. And that's always been the case for the most part. The only difference is that like there were some guys like Dublift, for example, that knew they could wake, make way more with content creation, but they were able to make a good living still while playing pro. I don't know if that second part is true anymore. If you can make a good living playing pro, you're going to grind your ass off for 75K a year. I keep saying that number, by the way, because that's apparently the league minimum, if people are wondering why I keep saying that number. Um, and I don't think there's a lot of players that are going to want to do that. Or if you're like a young League of Legends player, maybe you in the past you would have been like, one day I want to play in the LCS. And now you're like, I don't know if I even want to commit to that league. I don't know if it's going to exist. And even if I do make it, I'm not going to get paid very well. I'm going to be almost slaving away to the game and getting no real reward for it. And I think tenacity making the move kind of points to the same thing. I mean, another damning statement that he made in that interview was he was actively telling other top prospects in the challenger league scene and his own friends that you should just go to Europe and try yeah, to get it, to ERL. try to make it on an ERL team and then use leverage that to join either the LEC or the LCS. So, which is also very difficult because Europe doesn't really import that much. Not to say that they won't ever, because they do Sun. import, um, but they don't import very much. And uh, yeah, Cody Sun, that's like one of the few. I didn't maybe dude, the only one. I didn't know like how well he was doing, but I remember hearing like an offhand comment from one of the co-streams. I can't. It wasn't like the sneaky medios doublelift one. It was one of the other oh, really? ones. I don't remember who, okay. but they just said that like yeah, yeah. Cody Sun's on the worst ERL team, and he's one of the worst players in the league. Like. I just thought that was kind of funny that, I mean, that should be also be kind of proof that if you did want to make that jump and be like, fuck it, like I got to go to Europe, like, guess what? It might be even more difficult over there than it is with North America. And let's remind people that there are world champions that come over here and don't succeed. And I think a lot of that is change of scenery and whatnot. And so like Cody son, maybe it's because change of scenery is not doing too well for him or something like that. I don't know. But the point is, it's like, it's not a seamless transition to be a North American talent and try to go develop in Europe. That's probably a really difficult thing to do. So there's lots of not good for young North American league of legends players. 
Um, and uh, that seems to be a trend lately. I guess before we move on, there was one thing that we just forgot to mention just before when we were talking about the changes to the league of the changes to the NACL. Uh, TSM is already rumored to be the first team dropping their NACL roster. And it seems like that was kind of confirmed in the Travis Phil Aaron video because their player contracts are no longer in the global contract database. So I didn't check it myself, but based on what I they said it right now, and I went, I went, when we were talking about it earlier, I went to go see if there was any other teams that erased half of the roster. It seems like TSM's the only one that has like just five guys there. And I mean, that was expected, obviously, because of the situation that we found out about TSM sort of about a month ago, where we knew that they were going into complete budget mode. So yeah, not, not a surprise that TSM is the first one to not field a, a roster in that league and i fear that you know if i was making a prediction i'd probably align the same that phil aram did like there'll be four teams i don't think anymore i'd imagine is it's there a chance that cloud nine is like hey you want to feel like three of these teams because like maybe let's just give ourselves the best shot at getting all the talent i think so i mean i guess you'll have c9a versus c9b versus c9c versus tla tlb tlc yeah, I mean, I think C9 would do C9 blue and C9 white, just based on what they do in Valorant. But I mean, you get my point. Though. Yeah. Well, I mean, one situation that Phil Aram was discussing in the interview was that, you know, if the majority of teams decide to not field the roster, is that going to cause some of the teams who stay in the NACL? Are they just gonna, you know, I don't want to use the word hostage the younger talent, but they are going to leverage the fact that they are the ones who are bringing up all the North American talent and then make even more money than they probably already are selling contracts to other teams. And if I was a cloud nine, I would hundred percent probably do that. If it, you know, if you some sort of, I don't of think they're going to make a killing off of it. Cause I think they know that all the other teams just aren't willing to spend. So the buyouts will still be like nothing. Honestly, people will be like, I'll give you 10 grand for this player. And if C nine's like, no, they're like, okay, whatever. And they're like, we don't care about winning that much. So, you know, go sell them to somebody else. I don't think there's going to be a huge bidding war for the talent. Um, I think there will. But be. I do think I do think C9 will have all of it or TL or whoever, whoever the teams are that are left. Yeah, they'll, they'll the have all the top dog, 10. First dog to the bowl sort of thing. I mean, the, the only, I don't even want to call it an outlier, but the only relevant team that progressed very far in the amateur slash challenger league scene was Cincinnati Fear. And I think they made it to like not finals, but whatever the stage before finals was in that scene. Cause I think the finals were like C9 versus Dignitas Academy. But I know Cincinnati fear that was like a, a story that a lot of challenger league people were talking a lot about during the season. Cause they so were a third party Oregon stuff. I got to ask you this. If um, cloud nine is going to have all the players, we keep saying cloud nine, it could be any of them, but if cloud nine is going to have all the players, do you think Jack regrets saying that he's willing to let go of the players for free as long as they play in the LCS? Do you think Jack's like, shit, I shouldn't have said that? Well, I mean, you also do know that he said like, if other, he said that was only going to be the case if like one team needed players, if there was multiple teams that he was going to start a bidding war. Oh yeah. Right. He said, as long as there's not a bidding war. That is true. He did caveat that. Okay. Yeah. Fine. So he's and, safe then. And I do. <laughs> I kind. I agree that if Cloud9 is one of the only teams that continues to be involved in the NACL and is consistently developing, you know, top tier North American talent, I do think they'll be bidding wars for some of these players because 
And I mean, I, when I say bidding war, I don't mean that you're going to get to like the upper echelon of like hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars, but it's going to be more than the minimum for sure. Especially okay. if they're like topish talent. A small bidding war. I guess when I hear bidding war, I think of like what players used to buy out for. No, I Maybe. mean it's nothing going to be them. like that. I think they'd be really small, honestly. With with if teams are too afraid to put 500k into a challenger league team, uh, they're not spending a lot on these yeah, buyouts. But the teams who have the talent has a little leverage, so. I mean, they do. They're not. They're not going to go for cheap. Don't care about winning because if they did, they would be developing talent. So I don't think they give a shit about winning at the moment. But I definitely think the other thing too is Cloud Nine and TL and whoever the other teams that are going to field them. They were definitely voting to let these teams not have to field the team. They're like, okay, we'll take all the good talent now. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is interesting if you know you you pose an interesting scenario there because if is Cloud Nine actually you know you know they want to waive the requirement because they themselves don't want to do it or because they know that they're going to they get know all that the they get all the players yeah c9 I'm... has always developed talent so they're going to continue to do that yeah. <laughs> i think they're like you fucking morons yep i'm all in favor i vote for what you vote for you don't have to feel the fine we'll take all the good young players in north america no problem yeah. And then when the import rule gets lifted, they're like, okay, goodbye, everyone, shoo away. Now we're just going to import everybody. And, uh, well, we have T1 Academy is our LCS roster now. Berserker, you can stay. Everyone else, fuck off. Well, I hope that we'll be revisiting this topic sometime in the future because Riot will have hopefully rescinded some of these statements and or changes and maybe things will improve. But Yeah, I hope we don't have to revisit it because they decided... Oh, I guess if they decided against it, we would revisit it. Okay, Exactly. I, Come I, on, I bro. I agree. I agree. Okay, let's talk some quick news, JNT 250, and then we will close out the show. Yeah, so we wanted to start off, you alluded to it a little bit at the beginning of the episode when we were introing it, but Avali had a had an interesting discussion point on uh, some podcast. I don't know the name of it. My, my, my apologies, but... Caster's Couch. Oh, yeah. That's a good name, actually, because it's like, I think Raz and Captain <laughs> Flowers are also on it. Yeah. Maybe? It's funny because Travis always calls it Casting Couch, and they're like, no, Travis, it's not that, buddy. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. But she was making the point that, or, or her take was that she thinks the LCS is moving in a direction where they could potentially eliminate the studio and the live broadcast, or not the live broadcast, but the, the in-person audience part of the live broadcast. I'm mad about how much sense she's making. I agree. She's making too much sense. She makes a good point. If it costs that much, first of all, I didn't think it cost that much, but everyone in the room seemed to agree that it costs about 40 to 50K to run just to turn the lights on for LCS per day. So about 100 grand per weekend, maybe 80K or something like that, which I was like, holy shit. Um, so she says that they should just have a couple of talent, like just one analyst and one caster guy. And they do like this small little show to save a bunch of money and just not have an audience. Cause no one's buying tickets to the games anyways. And she's probably right. You probably save a bunch of money doing that. My biggest problem with this isn't that this is a solution to a problem. My problem with it is that riot created this problem by putting the games in the middle of the freaking day. Like this is a problem that shouldn't exist. And now you're having to fix a problem that riot themselves created. And they've been doing a lot of that lately. And ugh. yeah, obviously the live audience, I mean, we don't have the exact numbers, but I just think from the eye test, we could tell that there were not a lot of people in the crowd 
uh, consistently during the LCS regular season. They pan to the audience, and sometimes it'd be full. Other times There's it'd no be one there. pretty There's empty. There's like Papa Smitty sitting in the crowd when FlyQuest is playing, and yeah. Ovali, of course. But I mean, if if I had to guess, I think it'd be more likely that they'd heavily downscale the studio rather than uh, shut it down. I mean, you can't shut it down because Valorant is sharing the space now, so... Yeah, I think they just mean shut it down for LCS. Just not yeah. open it up, I guess, mm-hmm. for LCS. If I if, said like a small little room or something. If I had to, if I had to make a, if I had to make a prediction per se. I I do think that they'll just downscale the broadcast to they'd eliminate the live audience. They'd probably just have the players playing on not a like yes they'd be playing on a stage, not necessarily a stage from the in person view, but from the sort of, you know, the player cam view and whenever they sort of pan and like, you'll see the background with all the champions selecting for lock-in, like it'll be something like that. But I don't foresee there being like a whole section where there's like bleachers or chairs or there's like the casters, you know, desk, which is like up in the corner. Like, I think they just separate into a few individual rooms. Like for people who watch Counter-Strike, the way that they run like CSGO majors before the bracket stages start, they just play in like a big room. Like they yeah. just play in a room and they kind of set up like barriers on either side, which has all their sponsors and has all has all their visuals that they want to have for the major. But they pretty much are playing in their own isolated environment. So I would just think That's that they, example. they'd have their own isolated environment for the players. They'd then have another room or area where the analyst desk would be slash, you know, you put the analyst desk like, you know, 20 feet that way. And then the, the casting desk like 20 feet that way. And you basically just have the LCS downscaled two rooms. That did not occur to me, but and that's I, a really good example of like, oh, I could see how that would work now because I've seen Counter Strike. That that's good, I think. That that'd be my guess because I I don't think that. I mean, I understand her point of saying that you could probably reduce it to a few people, but I think you'd get a very amateur type of feel. I feel bad calling out the the NACL here, but I mean that's kind of the format that they do, where they run a lot of it from that like the house that all those you know challenger league casters live in like that's where all the broadcast runs out of so i don't think they're gonna do something like that because that's what i assumed ovley was sort of talking about but i think that would just look way too amateur for the lcs so my one argument against and it's kind of what you were saying i was gonna say that like this might look too amateur for like sponsors like maybe it's Uh, worth turning on the big lights and making it look all fancy so that you can have state farm sponsor you like if you just have captain flowers in his closet state farm's gonna be like "Mm, no yeah, no, I I agree hundred percent. So maybe that's why they've been turning the lights on because they make more from the sponsorships by making it look all fancy. They can just pretend there's a crowd there, just don't pan the camera over to the empty studio there and be like, Yeah, we get lots of viewers. <laughs> uh next up, there was a little bit of drama on Twitter after the Mad Lions versus T one series, especially after they got clapped up in that sixteen minute forty second game between Niski and Oyoya primarily sparked between the Spanish community slash co-streamers where there was a pretty, excuse me, there was a pretty infamous tweet from, I don't even know the guy's name, but basically making the point that Oyoya has the mentality of a winner and Niski has the mentality of a loser because one of them was <laughs> sad after their playoff, after their series, and one of them was just like kind of lapping it off. And first of all, absolutely ridiculous that you are making assumptions on what a team environment looks like based off of two second clips of them walking back to their to their stage room and 
another thing that is important to point out to give some context of the situation, if you don't know what we're talking about, this was a person who was on the, the Spanish coast streams and is heavily involved in the Spanish community, whom El Yoya is a very prominent person within. And I'm just going off of what I've been reading on Twitter and Reddit. Apparently, the Spanish community is very... um, What's the word I'm looking for? They, El Yoya is their golden boy child, and they mm. will protect him to all ends. So I think that there was probably a little bit of bias going on in the situation from the Spanish community. And the guy gave like a really shitty non-apology on Twitter like the day after. I didn't get constantly flamed for the entire day. So really? I didn't even see oh, that. It, it was like premiere, like YouTube, YouTube video apology dog shit type levels. I mean, at least he apologized. If he apologized, he, no, sure. sorry, he, that was the thing. He didn't apologize. Like it, it oh. was, it was, it was a quote unquote apology. He didn't apologize. So Double he was, down. it was just like a sorry. I'm not sorry. Like <laughs> they got the guy just was like a complete fucking moron. The only thing that I'll add to this, because yes, I agree. The only thing I'll add to it is like this take has been had before, where like people are upset at the players for not looking sad enough. This is hap like I can't believe that these takes are still happening because every time some dumbass comes out with these takes about it, everyone is like, dude, like people laugh off losses all the time. Like this is probably like the fifth time something like this has happened. It's just normally not this big of a story, yeah. right? But it's happened many times where like, man, look at him. He's laughing after they lost. He should be mad. And it's like, dude. Yeah. Anyway. I'm pretty sure it happens in Europe a lot, too. Now that I think about it. Didn't it happen with like Hillisang one time? I can't remember I can't, who it I, happened I, to. I can't recall exactly. It does sound familiar, so. The point is it's happened many times. Like, this is not the first, not the second, not the third. This has happened so many times. And, uh, yep, it's still happening and it will happen again. And then lastly, we do have a few, you know, NA roster rumors. Offseason still going on, despite the teams are at MSI, so there's still moves being made. Last week, we did talk about how Vulcan was joining FlyQuest, and we're like, oh, how funny would it be if Ayla ended up, you know, replacing him on EG as well? Well, guess what? Ayla's on yes. EG now. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Not just because I'm a Vulcan fan. Like, I don't got anything against Ayla. I just, like, I, I want Ayla to get another shot, even. And now it's perfect because they can still play each other. And this is, like, this is good. This is Vulcan's good. just swap sides. He's the good. He's not the evil anymore. Ayla's the evil yeah, one, though. Yeah, imagine Ayla starts ratioing Vulcan. Not possible. True, but that's pretend. Okay, Um, and then Ignar replacing Poom on NRG is another one. Mm -hmm. I uh, like the Poom. move. Yeah, Poom did not have the greatest split. I guess Ignar, it's been a little while also since he's looked like good, but like it's hard I still think it's to an Yeah, it's hard to really talk about his performances when he was on such a garbage team in 2023. Or yeah. spring 2023. Yeah. But anyways, those two moves are good, I guess. Like I, yeah. I don't know who else EG could have gone for, anyways. Yeah, I mean I, there were there were people who were kind of I mean, especially even when the FBI for Luger news came out, people were like, oh my God, like giving up on their young talent. But I don't know. I, I don't think that Luger and Poom really improved at all since their yeah, debut not split. All talent, like, right. Not I, all talent pans out to be one of the, you're like, you're not always going to have um, prospects become the best players in their role or one of. In this case, they just didn't. Like they didn't have a good split. CLG thinks that they could win now because their mid jungle is looking really, really good. So they go and make a move, and honestly, they might be right. And by w the way, I say CLG, but that's NRG. Yeah, NRG. Now we we really gotta like train our brains out of that. 
It's funny because yeah. like obviously nobody here knows, but anytime that I'm like writing stuff up on Discord or in like notes talking about BLG, like my brain is just like thinking CLG. So I type out CLG and then Luigi's like, why does it say CLG? And I was like, oh shit, I meant BLG. Yeah. It, it, CLG is forever going to be like permanently ingrained into my mind. It's hard. Like if it was a team like Echo Fox that hadn't been around so long, like forgettable, no problem. You know, Clutch, yeah. Humegalo, but CLG is still CLG. It's hard to. Anyways, we'll see if we'll see if after next year maybe we get used to the NRG thing. Okay, and then VTO replacing Ruby on Heretics. Um, sure. Yeah, he needs a he needs a bit of redemption arc after crashing and burning in in winter. Uh, he's he's gonna be playing with Yankos, right? Yeah, bro. That's a. Did they make any other moves? Um. Oh, I think wait. Team needs more moves. Yeah, yeah. I totally forgot. They replaced Flacket with. Uh, they swapped Flacket and Jack Spectra. Oh. I forgot about that actually. But yeah, they did do that. Okay. Well, maybe that's enough. I don't know. They still have Evi, Evie. I forget. Yeah, they're not getting rid of them. I don't remember where I heard this, but there's a rumor saying that. Heretics was potentially going to replace him, but they're not actually now. Yeah, I'm looking at the because LEC Wulu tweeted out the the final roster swaps. There's not really that many swaps, honestly. So if yeah, you want to go look for it, he tweeted it out like uh, I think May 12th, so just a couple of days ago or something. It's not that you won't have to scroll far on LEC Wulu's Twitter to find the final rosters. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. six changes. Yeah, probably it's got to be like one of the fewest we've ever seen from you know split to split. But I think we've previously talked about how like LEC is a little bit different now with there being three splits, but yeah. very minimal changes for the most part. And the big problem with the minimal changes, the last thing that I have on my docket, is that Inspired is not on that list. No team. He's going Not in... another one, man. You got to have a couple every year, bro. Uh... It is quite a shame, though, because this guy literally was the MVP of the LEC. And then did he win MVP in LCS in spring? I thought he 20- did. Okay, well, he was both the... Who won it in summer last year? Uh... Won the split? C9 did? Cloud9 won the split, you fucking goon. (laughs) You're a Cloud9 fan. (laughs) Was it a C9 person then? Was it Blabber? 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 Had to have been Blabber. Was it? It must have been Blabber. It must have been Blabber. I thought Inspired won it at some point, so I don't remember if it was spring or summer, but... Oh, shit, I, I can't remember. I gotta look it up now. Him not being on a team, inspired that is, not being on a team is a fucking disaster. But the point is, we're kind of getting used to disaster at this point because it's just like all these players that are good enough to play are just not playing. Wait, they don't even list MVP in this shit. What is this? Someone can let us know in the comment section. Oh, okay. Inspired one in summer because Summit one in spring. That's what it was. Oh, we should have known that Summit won it. Yeah, yeah, dude. Summit has oh, been like... Oh, that's embarrassing. Dude, especially as a C9 <laughs> fan, like, that split has yeah. been, like, so erased from my memory at this point. Like, oh, my God. Oh, we should have known that. Jesus. I mean, I'm not a C9 fan anymore, but I am sitting in a C9 jersey and in a C9 chair. I feel like I should have been on top of that. Anyway, okay, that's it for this episode. We still got a whole week of MSI left. There's a shit ton of games because MSI is kind of pog like that. The format is pogging. And uh, we'll see you guys next week to wrap it all up. 
um msi will be done and we'll talk about the winner and then we'll probably have an episode after that to preview summer but we'll figure out when that episode is and we'll let you guys know next week or whatever uh anything else to add jinter um 76ers suck my balls that's my last thing to add basketball omega lol basketball jason tatum the goat sure okay thanks for uh for uh joining us every week guys uh remember to subscribe like and all that stuff and we'll see you guys next week this has been episode 124 of the clown fiesta podcast